Go ahead and take your Bibles open to 1 Samuel chapter 17. In 1776, we now have many living in the American colonies. Many came here to re uh, flee religious persecution that they were experiencing in Europe. You do understand many who landed on our shores in the 1600s were fleeing religious persecution. Yet now, the persecution has followed them. You do know, even in our colonies, there was religious persecution. If you do not know that, you need to study some of our American history. A war has begun, and a choice must be made. The giant England and its massive army stands in the way of the colonists truly living free. This tyrannical government continues to crush the colonies. That hot July, 56 men, firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, pledge each other their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor as they sign a document declaring themselves free from England. These men understood there was a cause greater than self, greater than riches, greater than fame, and comfort. The cause was liberty. The freedom to worship an almighty God according to the dictates of one's own conscience. Throughout the history of this nation, there has been the need for constant vigilance to continue to stand against the giants that would attack those freedoms and those liberties. As early as 1812, our nation finds itself back at war, and many other wars would follow that would challenge our way of life. But the challenge to face the giants that would hinder freedom is one that each generation must face. <clears throat> this is not unique to our nation, but it's been the case throughout all history. An account we're going to examine today finds a nation at a crossroads. The king and his army are cowardly paralyzed by fear, even though they serve Jehovah God. The nation is on the verge of being enslaved by a pagan nation. That nation is Israel. Yet a young teenage shepherd boy steps in and has the courage to face the giant. And so we're going to look at some several verses here in 1 Samuel chapter 17. And if you are physically able, if you would please stand with me and honor the reading of God's word. We're going to start at verse 4. 1 Samuel 15, starting at verse 4. There went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. And he had a helmet of brass upon his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass, and he had greaves of brass upon his legs and a target of brass between his shoulders. And the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and the spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and one bearing a shield went before him. And he stood and cried in the armies of Israel and said to them, Why are you come out to set your battle in array? Am not I a Philistine, and ye are the servants to Saul? Choose you out a man from you, or for you, and let him come down to me. If he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then will we be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you should be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And when Saul and all Israel heard the words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly 
afraid. Let's go down to verse 22. And David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage and ran into the army and came and saluted his brethren. And as he talked with them, behold, there came out the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines and spake according to the same words. And David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man that has come up? Surely to defy Israel he has come up. And it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches, and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David spake to all the men that stood by him, saying, What should be done to the, the, the man that killeth this Philistine and taketh away this reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him after the manner, saying, so shall it be done to the man that killeth him. And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart. For thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. And David said, What have I now done? Is there not a cause? And let's go down one more time to verse 38. And Saul armored, armored, David with his armor, and he put a helmet of brass on his head, and he was armed him with a coat of mail. And David girded his sword in his armor, and he essayed to go, but he could. Uh, let me start verse 39 again. But David girded his sword upon his armor, and he essayed to go, for he had not proved it. And David said unto Saul, I cannot go with these, I have not proved them. And David put them off him. And he took his staff in his hand, and he chose him five smooth stones out of the brook, and put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had even a script when his sling was in his hand. And he drew near to the Philistine, and the Philistine came on and drew near unto David. And the man that bare the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy and of a fair countenance. And the Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his God. And the Philistine said to David, Come on, come to me, and I will give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air and to the beast of the field. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield. But I come unto thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee. And I will give the carcass of the host of the Philistines this day and to the fowls of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, and all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. And it came to pass, when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David, that David hasted and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag, and he took thence a stone and slang it and smote the Philistine in his forehead. And the stone sunk into his forehead, and he fell upon his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with the sling and with the stone and smote the Philistine and slew him, but there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood upon the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of his sheath thereof and slew him and cut off his head therewith. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and of Judah arose and shouted and, and pursued the Philistines until thou comest to the valley that is into the valley and to the gates of Ekron. And the wounded of the Philistines fell down by the way of Shererim and even unto Gath and unto Ekron. 
There are three points I want us to see from this passage this morning. First, I want us to observe the situation of tragic gloom. The situation of tragic gloom. Secondly, I want us to notice the shepherd's trust in God. The shepherd's trust in God. And then we're going to add, with sadness turned to glory. Sadness turned to glory. You and I need to focus on God and not on the circumstances and be willing to face the giants of today. Father, again, thank you for this opportunity to open your word. And Lord, I pray that this morning, again, as we examine this passage of David and Goliath, that we would be also reminded that we must face the giants today, and we can in your strength. And Father, again, if there's one here that does not know Christ as Savior, I pray that today they would understand their need of salvation. And we'll be careful to give the praise and glory for it all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. And may I ask someone, please, if they could get me a water, that would be greatly appreciated. The situation of tragic gloom. You see, the army was focused on the enemy, not on the Lord. Here it is, the army of Israel, the ones who worship Jehovah God, the ones who worship the living God, yet their focus is not on God, but their focus is on this army, especially one man, Goliath. Now, granted, Goliath was tall, six cubits in a span. That puts him about ten and a half feet tall. So I stand five foot eight-ish, and I am 21 inches off the ground. So that puts me about seven feet. So add another three feet on. That's a pretty tall dude. Very large man. But the problem is, thank you so much, appreciate it. Their focus should have not been on him, but should have been on God. God has proven himself faithful to Israel many times. Had he not delivered them from Egypt? Had he not provided for them while they were in the wilderness? Had he not brought them into the promised land? Has he not done all these wonderful things for them? Why then are they not trusting God? But let me ask Christian, how many times has God worked in our lives and we still question God? The army feared man more than the Lord. In Jeremiah, we're told, Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. But the Lord said to me, Say not, I am a child, for thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. But too many Christians are in the same place today. Well, things are just getting terrible. I guess we'll just sit around and wait for the Lord to come. Well, people aren't concerned about spiritual things anymore, so I'm just going to stop talking about the Lord. I'm sure you've all heard, as I have, people with this despair. They're looking at the circumstances, they're looking at the situation, and not focusing on God. But did Jesus not tell us, Luke 19, 13, and he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. And folks, we should be continuing to serve God the closer we see his coming. But I want to see also, not only was the army focused on the enemy, not on God, but the enemy identified the army of God with a man and not with God. Look at verse 8 again. In verse 8, And he stood and cried in the armies of Israel and said to them, Why are you come out to set your battle in array? Am not I a Philistine and ye servants to Saul? You know, it's sad that the army was now identified with Saul and not as Israel's army or God's army, 
serving Israel. The Philistines should have feared the army of Israel, for God fought for them. Remember, the Philistines are part of those pagan people that should have been killed when Israel came into the promised land, right? But remember, they didn't kill them all. But seeing what God had done in the past, should not this army of the Philistines have a fear of the army of Israel? But they don't. You know why? Because they're not identifying as God's army. They're identifying them as Saul's army. And Saul was an extremely weak leader. But the question for you and I to ask is with whom does the world identify us? When the world looks at you, do they say, there's a Christian? And maybe they even mean it derogatory, but the truth is, is Christ, a Christian being a little Christ or Christ one, that should be a compliment if they look at you and say, there is a true Christian. Or do they look at you and say, there's a hypocrite? Or do they look at you and say, there's a weak person? Or there's one who claims to be one thing, but is another, which would be a hypocrite. But as we're looking at the situation of tragic gloom, not only did the army have the wrong focus, Israel's army had the wrong focus. They were focused on the situation, not on God. The enemy's army was looking at them as just a bunch of weaklings following a man. But then we have David's own brother showing what a hypocrite these soldiers were. Let's look again at verse 28. Eliab, his eldest brother, heard what he spake unto the men. Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why camest thou down hither? And whom without left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and naughtiness of thine heart, for thou came down that thou mightest see the battle. David, you're just a naughty little boy. By the way, who did you even leave those sheep with? Now, David's being obedient to his father, Jesse, who sent him to go down and see how the rest of the boys are doing, the three eldest who were part of the army, see how they're doing. But his brother gets mad at him. He says, David, I know why you came down here. You came down here just to see the battle. Now, I'm smart aleck enough. I probably would have been like, what battle? I don't see you fighting. Every time that champion comes out, all you're doing is hiding and cowering just like the rest of them, Eliab. But Eliab, trying to show how tough guy he is, comes up to David. David, you're just a naughty little boy. I can't believe you came down here. All you want to do is see real men fight. And I'd be like, yeah, that is what I came to see. When are you going to go fight him, Eliab? Because every time Goliath comes out and challenges him, it says that the army hid themselves. That's a good battle plan. Here comes the enemy. Go hide. Find a rock to hide behind. You know what Eliab's problem was? He didn't have half the character his brother David did. And David's presence bothered him. By the way, may I say, you want to live for Christ, look, do it with, when you, we need to, yes. But we need to do it with a humble spirit. But even then, many times, just your presence is going to be such a conviction of some who know that they're doing wrong, and they're going to just lash out at you anyhow. That's exactly what's happening with Eliab. He's lashing out at David because as he looks at David, he's seeing his own hypocrisy. But I love what David's answer is. He says, what have I now done? What did I do, Eliab? Is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? Is there not something worth fighting for, Eliab? 
But sometimes the strongest opposition comes from those who should be encouraging you. Eliab, not willing to fight, but criticizing David. You know, his family should have been encouraging him. But there wasn't a whole lot of encouragement for David. If we go even prior to this, when Samuel comes to anoint, here, here uh, Jesse lines up all the boys, and they go by the prophet one by one, and God says, not him, not him, not him, not him. And then Samuel has to ask, Jesse, do you have any more? Well, yeah, but it's just David. And he's out in the field watching sheep. Samuel says, I'm not going to sit down until you bring him in here. And God says, that's the one. Even his own family thought nothing of him. You know, you may, grow, you may be in a home where you have family members like Eliab and his brothers. But let me tell you something. God can use you anyhow. Because God has a plan for your life. But then what about Saul? We come down to verse 32. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with the Philistine. By the way, king, where's your leadership? Why are you not out there leading the charge against this Philistine? Why are you not sending out your captains, your generals out there to fight this Philistine? You're letting them cower. What kind of leader are you, Saul? Now you get this little boy come before you, and here's what he says. Verse 33, and Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with them, for thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. David, you're too young. You can't do it. You're too inexperienced. David, David, you just don't understand. You know, it's interesting to me, if you study the ages of many of our founding fathers, many of them had not reached their 30th birthday when they were making major decisions for this nation. And yet we treat youth as though they're too stupid to do anything. That's nothing new, by the way. Now, David was a youth, probably somewhere around 12 years old, okay? You say, how do you figure that, okay? In order to go to war, you had to be 20 or over. Three of David's brothers went to war. He had four in between him and those three. So we're probably looking about a 12, 13-year-old kid. That's a young guy. But let me tell you something. We need to stop putting down the youth and encourage the youth to serve God. David, you're too young. You're too inexperienced. You're just a youth. And this guy's been a warrior since his youth. Here's another problem with the situation in Israel. Position does not equate to leadership. Saul is a poor excuse for a king. Saul is, has made so many mistakes, he, and he's a very poor leader. And the whole nation is suffering because of this man. Now remember, he was picked not because of his great leadership abilities, not because he had great character. He was picked because he was head and shoulders above everybody else. He's a tall, handsome guy. I think we'll vote for him. Now understand, they didn't vote for the king, okay? But you get the idea, right? And you know, it still amazes me today in our nation that we don't look at people's character, we don't look at their track record, we look at the fact of, they're a nice looking person, we look at the fact of, I like their handshake, we look at stupid things like that and say, I think I'll vote for them. They said something nice to me. And then when they get in position, we treat them like they should be good leaders. I think many of our elected officials have proven 
that just because they have a position doesn't make them a good leader. How about we find good leaders and put them into position? So here this nation is about on the verge of going into slavery to a people that they should have killed years ago. All because they're paralyzed by fear of one man, this giant standing in their way. But then comes David. And again, verse 29, David said, What have I now done? Is there not a cause? He recognized there's a greater cause. You see, the king of Israel and his army were more concerned about personal safety than the freedom of the nation. Let me say that again. The king and his army were more concerned about personal safety than they were the freedom of their nation. This army should have been charging Goliath, saying, God's going to give us the victory. And if some of us are lost in the battle, we are not going to be slaves to the Philistines. But they didn't do it. They're cowering. I wonder what would happen in 1775, 6, 7, 8, in the time that we fought the war for independence, if we had a bunch of people who were like Saul and his army. You do realize we'd still be under the British crown today, wouldn't we? You see, there comes a time, folks, when you and I have to say, it doesn't matter. The cause is greater than personal gain, personal comfort, personal safety. The cause is bigger than me. And if it means that I must give my life for it, I'm willing to do so. Because David recognized that this stalemate could not continue. Either Israel was going to end up being slaves to the Philistines or Israel was going to live free. But this stalemate that they're experiencing right now would soon come to an end. Because after taunting them day after day, sending out their giant to taunt them and make fun of them and ask for a challenger, that was going to get old after a while, wasn't it? And one day, they instead of just coming out and taunting them, they were going to come out with a full-on attack. Now, you have an army hiding behind the rocks and hiding behind the trees. How do you think that attack would have gone? There was no organization in Israel to fight back. They would have been picked off like fleas. Israel would have become enslaved to the Philistines. David knew with the attitude of the army, the lack of courage in the army, that this was the direction his nation was heading in. And he said, not on my watch. He said, not happening. Now, David was not arrogant about it. David wasn't thinking that he's somebody special. He just realized one thing. This giant, you've taken it personal, but he's not defying you. He's defying our God. And God is greater than this giant. And God is for our nation. And so David says, I'll go. Not because he thought he was somebody special, but because he trusted God and he knew God would give the victory. That's what made David special. He wasn't looking at the giant because he saw God who was much bigger than the giant. He wasn't looking at the Philistines. His eyes were on God. You see, he had a proper focus. David did not trust armor. I love this. Here we got a 12-year-old boy. And we got a full-grown man who stands head and shoulders above everybody else. So wimpy Saul says, okay, David, if you're going to fight... Here's my coat of mail. Put this on. You ever see a little boy put on daddy's boots? How they drown in them? This is how I picture this scene. David putting on this 
tall man's suit of, of armor and sitting there like all clanky in this thing, like, yeah, this ain't gonna work. <laughs> now, I don't know. Maybe he had one fitted for him. But the point being is I could see Saul giving his personal one and, and David being like, yeah, this is really not me. I've never proved this. I've never used this. And he's sitting there thinking, I'm not, I'm, I'm not used to this. Why would I want to change the methods that I'm used to doing? Christian, you and I need to understand the world wants to change church. They want to change the way we reach people. You know, those old-fashioned methods of preaching, they just don't work anymore. Well, God said by the foolishness of preaching. And so we're going to continue to preach the word because that's what God's method is, right? But the world constantly wants to change and try something new. But David also did not trust in himself. Let's go to 34 through 37. And David said to Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him and smote him and delivered him out of his mouth. And when he rose against me, I caught him by the beard and smote him and slew him. Isn't that cool? I'm sorry, but, you know, I just, again, try to picture this. A bear coming and attacking the sheep. You know what most people would do? Dad will never miss one. No, not David. He goes and he runs up to the bear and he strikes the bear, grabs him by the beard and slits his throat. And as if that's not enough, verse 36, Thy servant slew both a lion and a bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine should be as one of them, seeing it defied the armies of the living God. David said, moreover, The Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and now the paw of the bear will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, Go, and the Lord be with thee. David wasn't telling this account to Saul to sound like he's a tough guy. He's saying, look, my dad told me to guard the sheep. So while I was guarding the sheep, a bear attacked, I killed the bear. And then another time while I was guarding the sheep, a lion attacked, so I killed the lion. He said, but it, it was God who delivered me. It was never David saying, I'm Mr. Tough Guy. It was David saying, in the same manner, in order to accomplish what God, had, God wanted me to do through the order of my father, protecting his sheep, so that same God is going to protect me and taking out this giant. What a focus David had, keeping his eyes on God. He was a man of character, a man of discipline. And he was faithful with the sheep. He was faithful in running this errand for his father. Even though his brother's sitting there mocking him, he's still doing exactly what his father told him to do. And why is there? He might as well take out a giant. Although he was experienced in fighting off the animals, he gave the glory to God. His confidence was in God. Look at verse 45. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou camest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I came to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts. And the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied, this day the Lord will deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thy head from thee, and will give the carcass to the host of the Philistines this day, and to the fowls of the air, and the wild beasts of the earth, and all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Can you imagine David? Short guy down here. Little boy. Goliath up here. And he says, the God that you defied is going to let me take your head off today. You're going down. That is confidence in God. The same confidence in God that our forefathers had as they fought the greatest army this world has ever seen at that time. The same confidence our forefathers had 
as these 56 men put their signatures on that document saying, we are free from England. The same confidence that as you go through every aspect of the founding of this nation, and you look at battle after battle after battle, how God intervened, we all know many of the accounts. We know how Washington lost many of his army at Valley Forge. We know how as they crossed the Delaware, God sent in a a fog that they were never spotted by the enemy. And we could go on with all these things that God did battle after battle, how he provided for them, because their confidence was not in man. Their confidence was not in self. There was a cause greater than self. Their cause was just, and they trusted God for the victory, and God gave it. Listen, there are giants today. There are many giants today. But can we face them in the confidence that God will give the victory? David had a proper view of self. He was not filled with pride. But as Jesus said in Luke 17, 10, So likewise ye, when ye have done all those things which are commanded, you say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. You know, David didn't want accolades for this. Now, you do remember afterwards, Saul killed his thousands, David his ten thousands. And the people did give him accolades, but that was not David's desire. David's desire was, there is a greater cause. And if somebody doesn't stand against that giant, our people are going to become slaves. And God established the nation of Israel to be a nation that followed God. And it was going to be a, a blemish on the on God and on his people. And so David said, I will stand and I have confidence God will give the victory. So he didn't use the armor that he had not proven. But he took what he knew, the sling, went down to the brook and found five smooth stones, put them in his bag, and that's how he went to battle. Jeremiah 6.16, Thus saith the Lord, stand ye in the way and see and ask for the old paths, wherein is the good way, and walk therein, that you shall find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk therein. Let's follow the try and true way, true way that God has laid out in his word. But verse 47, And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. The battle is the Lord's. Recently, the Supreme Court overturned Roe versus Wade. Recently, the Supreme Court in Kennedy versus Bremerton School District said the coach can pray with his team. And I'm going to say this, and if you get mad at me, I don't care because it's the truth. He did it without Donald Trump. Because God gets the glory, not a man. Isaiah 48.2, I am the Lord, this is my name, and my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. Listen, not to make this political, but I think most would agree that it was not the desire of the administration is currently in the White House to see these things happen. And most of us agree that a lot of things in our nation look really bad. But you know what? Our God is so great that he can still work in the hearts of men that even when things look like all doom and gloom, he can give a victory. Let me tell you something. Roe versus Wade was a giant who stood in our country for 50 years. God took it out. That brings us to our last point, the sadness turned to glory. God, through the hand of David, brought victory. 
David had a great faith in God. 1 John 5, 4. Whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Faith is the victory. You know what David had when he stood before Goliath? He had faith in a big God. David knew that his God was not done with his nation Israel. Now remember, Israel can claim something we as Americans can't. They're God's chosen people. And God gave them promises through Abraham that you and I cannot claim. Okay, so I'm not trying to equate America with Israel. I know guys who do. We are not. However, may I say we serve the same God and the principles that apply to you serve God and he blesses the nation still apply today, right? David made sure the whole time that the glory belonged to God. You know, nobody thought as Goliath came and challenged, you know, I think we're going to give David a call. I think he'd be the man to stand before this giant. Again, I believe that's why Eliab was so harsh on his brother, because he should have been the man standing before Goliath. But he was too cowardly. But David selflessly was willing to do what it took to see the giant fall. Here's the problem. Our nation has become too apathetic, too comfortable, too easy sitting in my easy chair. I don't want to have to worry about it. I've asked numerous people who live in the city of Havelock, would you consider running? Oh, no, not me. Now, some of them because truly humbled by it, okay? But others because, look, I'm retired. I'm enjoying life. Or, you know what? That requires a lot of time and effort. Or, well, they wouldn't want me because, you know, whatever. And they go on with all these excuses. But let me tell you something. Unless people are willing to stand up and face the giants in our land, we're going to give excuses to losing all our freedoms. Christian, it's time we take a stand. It's time we face the giants in our land. I look back here and see Chad, who doesn't have an opponent in November, so if he remembers to vote for himself, he'll be sitting in that seat. Don't forget. Chad, I can already tell you, it's going to be a lot of time. It's going to be a lot of effort. And no matter what you do, you're wrong. And people are going to fight you every step of the way. And it doesn't matter how much you try to serve the people. People are going to gripe and complain and, and, and say nasty things about you. But I appreciate something. You're willing to stand and face the giant. And that's what it takes, folks. Now, not just in, in the political realm, but Christian, we have a greater cause. We are ambassadors of Christ. We're ambassadors of heaven to this lost and dying world. Do we take that lightly? Oh, I don't want to go talk to my neighbors. I don't want to go out visiting somebody today. You know what? We're going to go out, and it's going to be over 90 degrees at the park here in just an hour or so. We're going to be out there. But we're going to do it for one reason. Because people need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we're going to go out there, and we're going to try to give it to them. Right? I don't say that for tooting our own horn. But you know what? Who cares if it's 100 degrees? That's what we got water for. We will in an hour, but no, we won't. We're going to keep right on going. We got a greater cause than self. What do you do with your free time? Do you use it to serve? Do you use it to share the gospel with others? Do you use it to continue to study the word so you can be more effective in show, teaching and showing others the word of God? Now, there's nothing wrong with 
watching the TV program once in a while. You know, if that's what you do with all your free time, you're wasting time. Many were affected by the decision made that day. The whole nation could rejoice and did rejoice. Remember, you and I never make a decision in a vacuum. Every decision you make affects others. Every decision you make affects others. And a whole nation continued to live a free people because of one shepherd boy. Isn't that amazing? David's choice brought glory to God. He was just a young teen, but he didn't say, I'm too young. Matter of fact, when Jeremiah said, I'm just a child, God said, don't say I'm just a child. And again, we've got to get out of that mentality of children can't serve God. Yes, they can. But David realized that God is bigger than the giants. 1 John 4, 4, year of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So as we see God taking down the giants in our land, and we do, Christian, it's not time for us to quit. It's not time for us to hide. It's not time for us to fear. It's not time for us to cower. But it's time for us to stand and to get in the fight for truth and righteousness. And say as David did, is there not a cause? I will stand for truth. I will stand for righteousness. There have been giants for every generation to face. Many of you sitting here, did as I did, talked with your grandparents about the giants that were called Japan and Germany and the war that they had to go fight. And many of you, as I did, sitting talking to my grandfather, stood in awe of that generation that was willing to stand against those giants. And we've all read the history books of how many sacrifices were made that we could continue free. But we all can look back at the example of David, a little shepherd boy who was willing to face a giant, not in arrogance and pride, but in humility, recognizing the cause was greater than self. Going back to what I started, those 56 men realized the glory of God, the freedom to worship God, the fact that righteousness exalteth the nation are greater causes than comfort, pleasure, safety, riches, and life itself. By the way, if you've not studied the history of what happened to those 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence, they said we commit their lives, their fortune, and their sacred honor, and most of them gave exactly that. Their lives and their fortunes were taken from them. They personally didn't get to see this nation standing for freedom. They personally, those 56 men, didn't get to see this nation being the nation that sent more missionaries around the world to preach the gospel. They didn't get to see, but they knew something. There was a cause greater than self. There was a giant to be faced, and they were willing to face the giant. You see, not every time does it turn out like it did for David, where he saw an immediate victory. But folks, if we realize our cause is just, and we stand, and we stand because it'll bring glory to God, no matter what the sacrifice personally may be, I'm still going to stand because it brings God glory. 
then he'll be glorified in what I've done. Let us take a stand like David. Let's bow for a word of prayer.